It feels like we're all being told to go on this diet, take that supplement. Ozempic will give you depression, but you know what'll cure that? Weed. Or you could try to balance your hormones. At Science Versus, we're like, what the f*** is going on? Forget the crap online and listen to Science Versus. Just the facts. Oh, and a bunch of stupid jokes. What is a ghost's favorite fruit? Booberries. That's Science VS. New season out on Spotify soon. Today is Monday, February 17th, 2020. On this day in 1992, serial killer Jeffrey Dahmer was sentenced on 15 counts of murder. The three-week insanity trial had been a nationally televised spectacle. Now, the jury had reached a verdict, and the world waited to hear whether the Milwaukee cannibal would face justice. Welcome to Today in True Crime, a ParCast original. Today we're covering the sentencing of Jeffrey Dahmer. Let's go back to the Milwaukee County Courthouse on February 17th, 1992. Jeffrey Dahmer strode into the courtroom with the same stoic demeanor he'd maintained throughout his trial. He wasn't wearing his glasses, so he wouldn't have to meet the eyes of his victims' families. They'd all lined up today to make their final pleas to the judge. Two days earlier, a jury had found Dahmer sane and thus guilty of 15 counts of murder. Today, the judge would hand down a sentence. And to the loved ones of the young men Dahmer had killed, only the maximum punishment would suffice. 27-year-old Eddie Smith had been drugged, strangled, and dismembered. Now his brother came forward and read statements from all 12 of Eddie's siblings. He told the judge, Jeffrey Dahmer has erased a million future memories for me of my brother. 23-year-old Ernest Miller had been killed in the same way and then cannibalized. His uncle asked Dahmer, Did you ever think this was someone's son? Did you ever stop to think that this is someone's brother, nephew, uncle, cousin, grandson, or just someone's friend? Then came the mother of 17-year-old Curtis Strotter. She looked right at her son's killer, sitting just a few feet away, and said, I hope you can deal with what you've done. I'm trying hard to. You almost destroyed me, but I refuse to let you destroy me. I will carry on. The most memorable reaction came from the sister of Errol Lindsay, who was 19 when he was killed. After calling Dahmer Satan, she lunged at him, screaming at the top of her lungs, Jeffrey, I hate you. She had to be pulled away by security guards and removed from the courtroom. Dahmer sat stone-faced through the entire ordeal. When the victim's families were done, he offered his own statement to the judge. It was the first time he'd spoken during the entire three-week trial, and he didn't sound like the cold-blooded monster everyone expected him to be. 
he put on his glasses and read in a solemn monotone. This has never been a case of trying to get free. I didn't ever want freedom. Frankly, I wanted death for myself. I know society will never be able to forgive me. I know the families of the victims will never be able to forgive me for what I have done. I have seen their tears, and if I could give my life right now to bring their loved ones back, I would do it. I deserve whatever I get because of what I have done. I am prepared for your sentence, which I know will be the maximum. I ask for no consideration. Dahmer was right. He did get the maximum. Judge Lawrence C. Graham Jr. sentenced him to 15 consecutive life terms. Dahmer wouldn't be eligible for parole for 936 years. We'll look at the impact of the Dahmer case right after this. Now, back to the story. Between 1978 and 1991, Jeffrey Dahmer killed 17 young men and drugged and assaulted countless more. He dismembered his victims, cannibalized their flesh, and stored their remains inside his Milwaukee, Wisconsin apartment. All the while, the police had no idea there was a serial killer roaming their streets. The 31-year-old killer was finally apprehended by pure chance. In July of 1991, one of his victims escaped. He led officers back to Dahmer's apartment where they found horrors no one could have imagined. There were skulls in the closet, Polaroids of mutilated bodies in the dresser, severed heads in the freezer, a barrel of acid where human remains were still dissolving. The ensuing media frenzy focused largely on the failures of the Milwaukee PD. The city's police force had a history of conflicts with the LGBT community and the black community. Most of Dahmer's victims were gay men of color, so the lack of investigation into the string of murders had troubling implications. Most infamously, a year before Dahmer was arrested, a pair of officers had found one of his victims wandering the streets, dazed, bloody, and naked. Dahmer insisted the young man was his 20-year-old boyfriend who'd had too much to drink, and the officers handed him back with no more questions asked. In reality, the young victim was 14-year-old Konarok Synthosampone. He was barely conscious because just hours ago, Dahmer had drilled a hole in his skull and filled it with hydrochloric acid. And if the police had bothered to run Dahmer's name through the system, they would have found out that he was on probation for sexually assaulting Konarok's brother two years earlier. When Dahmer was finally arrested, he didn't deny guilt for his crimes. In fact, he readily confessed to additional murders he hadn't originally been charged with. At his lawyer's insistence, he entered a plea of guilty but insane, which led to a three-week trial to determine his sanity. The defense and prosecution both called numerous experts to analyze Dahmer's mental state. 
they generally agreed that he could be diagnosed with necrophilia, a sexual attraction to dead bodies. But they were split on whether or not he was able to control that compulsive desire and the violent behavior that came with it. In the end, the jury ruled that Dahmer was in control of his behavior and could be considered legally sane. His sentencing gave the victim's families a taste of justice. But Dahmer himself admitted that nothing could truly make up for what he'd done. This was about more than one serial killer. It was about the counselors and psychiatrists that had failed to help him, the parole officers that refused to notice the red flags, the institutional prejudice that allowed him to operate undetected. For the Milwaukee community, it would take years for these wounds to heal. And Dahmer himself wouldn't be around to watch the aftermath. Just two and a half years after his sentencing, he was beaten to death by another inmate. Dahmer's killer made headlines as a vigilante folk hero, but ironically, death is what Dahmer had been wishing for since his trial. Perhaps instead of continuing the cycle of violence, it would have been more just to let him live, to think about the pain he'd caused, and to make good on his promise to make amends. Thanks for listening to Today in True Crime. I'm Vanessa Richardson. For more on Jeffrey Dahmer, check out our three-part special on serial killers. Today in True Crime was created by Max Cutler and is a ParCast Studios original. It is executive produced by Max Cutler, sound designed by Anthony Valsic, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro and Freddie Beckley. This episode of Today in True Crime was written by Kate Gallagher with writing assistance by Nora Battelle. I'm Vanessa Richardson. 